Uh, there's already a bit yellow blood in my in my veins. Already had a crazy 18 months here, but it just keeps on uh, keeps on going. Welcome to All in Yellow, the official Norwich City podcast. Tukey! Sensational! Who else? Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the All in Yellow podcast. We've got a real treat for listeners today. We welcome a man who works hard behind the scenes to identify and recommend players for Norwich City's first team and academy. It's head of recruitment, Kieran Scott. The club have worked wonders with their recruitment over the past few seasons and we're really looking forward to learning more about the inner workings of the recruitment department at the club and discover more about the stories behind players who've joined the club during the Stuart Webber and Daniel Farker era. Yes, we really are. But before we get started, make sure you subscribe to the All in Yellow podcast as we aim to bring the best Norwich City insight out there. We're on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Just search All in Yellow. And we're also on the Norwich City YouTube channel if you prefer your podcasts in visual form. So let's get cracking. The latest episode of All in Yellow is with today's guest, Kieran Scott. Kieran, hi. Great to have you with us on All in Yellow. How are you? Yeah, very good. Thanks. You? You okay? Yeah, all good. Thank you. Now, you obviously play a crucial role in the operation of the football club, but just tell us what your job entails. So my role predominantly is obviously head of recruitment. So my main focus is to uh, scout the players, filter the players and get through to Stuart and Daniel and ultimately make the recommendations that we, we look to sign at the end of it. And, and tell us about your background. I know you've had stints, is it Bournemouth, Southampton, Wolves, which is where I think you met Stuart Webber, isn't it? Just tell us how you came to, to be at Norwich as well. Yeah, I did do, um, uh, yeah, I've been all over the country in fairness. Um, Stuart, uh, firstly, when I met Stuart, I met him, I was working at Burnley doing sort of academy recruitment and Stuart was the uh, chief scout at Wolves. Uh, and he sort of made an approach for me to come and work alongside him doing academy recruitment at Wolves, which at the time was a Category 1 academy and a major step. Um, I, th- well, I felt that we, we clicked very quickly, got along very well, worked very similar. Um, I always remember I was up in Scotland at a game, driving back two o'clock in the morning. Stu texted me, oh, are, you, are you still out? I said, I am actually. And we met at a service station at half past two in the morning, driving back from Scotland, and neither of us even knew we were up there, if that made sense. So that, that was a sort of level of, you know, the commitment we both had. And I think we both clicked from that. Um, so obviously, uh, when I finished at Wolves, I actually went back to Burnley. And then Stuart was coming in at Norwich, called me. We had a conversation. I was just coming out of Burnley and, and, and sort of I came in as originally as head of domestic scouting, which was the initial role that he, he brought me here as. Uh, that little description, the little anecdote of you and Stuart in a service station is it's the most Stuart Webber thing I've ever heard. I've got this image of you guys that you just never switch off from football. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, 100%. And it probably, well, I've got a few bags under here is because we've just had the uh, end of January transfer window and my phone was still going off late into yesterday. So yeah, no, it's, um, it's a difficult role to switch off from, but I've just been so used to it now. I'm just... You just are, that is me and I'll do it exactly the same. You just never switch off. And what is deadline day like in the life of, of Kieran Scott? I mean, for football fans, it's a great day. It's like Christmas, isn't it? But but how does it feel for you? Do you know what? It can be a little bit mixed, actually. Um, I would say, you know, I think you guys know how, how certainly our Stuart works, now he operates, that he's not a last-minute man where we're diving in all, all of a sudden last minute to fix things. He doesn't work like that. I try not to work like that. We try and plan a bit better. So in fairness, working with, Stuart here, it's not that panicky. The only flip side is 
we've got a lot of good young players and a lot of good players in general that the, the only panic I have, if that's the right word, probably not panic, but obviously motivation is if somebody comes to one of your young players or your players, you've got to be prepared and ready to move very, very quickly. So phone just is constantly in view in case something happens because it could be half an hour is the difference. Um, so, yeah, you know, it can be... Um, listen, I really enjoy it. I thrive on it and I like that part of it, but I don't think it's for everyone. I know that. With, with this window, has it been as important keeping players as getting new ones, would you say? Yeah, 100%. I, I, I think so. I mean, you know, my, my role doesn't really get into the sort of... Uh, the, the outgoing, so to speak. I mean, I'm aware of what goes on because I need to react, but um, I don't feel that there was a major push from anyone to move on. I think everyone's pretty settled and wants to, you know, carry on with, with doing well. I think that the motivation is to keep doing well, but you do, you know, you always have half an eye just in case something does come your way, you've got to be ready. But I certainly didn't get the impression that that was, was coming in, in truth. Your role plays a huge part in that if like you've just mentioned we've got a lot of young really good players attracting attention they always talk about the succession plan and you've always got to know who the next person to slot in is once a player moves on how important is your role in that succession plan to the whole club strategy yeah that, that's really become my main focus now because you know I don't want to talk out of turn but if you if you look at a Max Aaron for example his rise has been excellent so every transfer window, you're preparing for, you know, the worst case, because we don't want to lose Max. I know one day if he keeps doing what he's doing, that might happen, but we don't want to lose him. We want to keep him. We want to get promoted again and keep him with us. But I'm always keeping my eye on just in case somebody does come and offer that money that the club deem fit to, to take him. You're always ready with various options. Uh, I know we've got good options in the building as well, certainly at this level. Um, sometimes it might not be what you think. It might be a almost a stocking filler. If we get promoted, we then go and replace Max. So you, you have to have so many options already. Um, uh, so yeah, it's uh, it's good. I enjoy it, but it can be tough. So as you say, Kieran, you're always looking ahead for if something does happen, but can you just talk us through how you identify a target and the intricacies involved in that? Yeah, so I have um, not a huge team behind me, but I have a, a really good scouting team behind me now that have been working with us for four years. So they know exactly how Daniel operates, exactly how Stuart operates and exactly how I operate. So what we have got is really trained eyes out there looking for exactly what we need. So nine times out of 10, when a recommendation's made to me now, it's within what we would want, i.e. is our type of player, he's the right age, he's the right, let's call it, call it salary, the right sort of price. Once that comes into me, my job then is to just sort of filter the ones that I feel are the exceptional candidates that then go through to to Stuart and Daniel. So that's sort of the sort of the makings of how that works. Without giving away too many trade secrets, how, how many players are you looking at at the same time? How many people have you got in your team out there with eyes on? Yeah, I, did, I mean, I did an interview recently, actually, and I, I on purpose wanted to talk about the guys underneath because they've, they've been excellent and they've been in the background very quietly going about their business now for, for a long time. It's not a huge network. I've got um, a guy called Chris Jones based in London. Uh, and he covers two two areas for us abroad. I have a guy called Tom Reeves up north, uh, up in Liverpool. Uh, again, he's a full-time member of staff that, that covers uh, two areas abroad as well. Uh, then we have a, a, a sort of big team internally of, of Mariella, who, who everybody knows very well, Lee Dunn, uh, Peter Skills and Rob, who um, are like our technical recruitment guys. Um, and they do a lot of, you know, we get a lot of talk about stats and data and stuff like that. 
I'd sort of say we're a bit of a mix. We're a bit of both. We, we do, do use stats and data, but we also have good scouts outside, you know, looking at players. So um, the two sort of meet together uh, really well. Uh, I also have a, another couple of guys that, that work part-time for me. Um, uh, A.D. Wilson up north and Eddie Black up in the northeast. Uh, and then I have a guy, Bob Arbour, who's just sort of in the middle, uh, sort of the under 23 range, and then it eventually comes to me. Are you generally all on the same kind of page or do you ever have discussions that turn a bit awkward because you're not sort of having the same views about a certain player? How does that work? No, I mean, in truth, I mean, listen, there's always the odd one here and there that, that, you know, we don't all agree on. And I'm typically a scout in that sense. If I see something I like, I can be very, um, what's the word, uh, forceful with that. Um, you know, that's my job to do that. But I've got to say from a lot of managers that I've worked with and, and, and people in heads of recruitment roles and stuff, um, this is definitely the, the it flows very easy. We're all on the same page. And I do when I put players forward, sometimes I might put a player forward who I might feel personally as a better option. But I know how Daniel operates, how Stuart operates, the sort of constraints of the club financially, that when you do put a player forward, that everyone seems to be straight away on the same page. Um, I can't recall any falling out yet anyway. There's been no heated uh, heated uh, discussions. That's got to be a bit of an indicator of a fairly clear vision of what you want every time you get out. So you're not checking in every five minutes saying, oh, is this the right sort of guy? You know, right, this is fitting the brief that I've been sent to go out and get. Yeah, it's crystal, it's crystal clear. I mean, you know, Daniel plays the type of football. What really helps is, I sort of, I know this sounds a bit strange, but I totally agree with how we play football, if that makes sense. That's how I would like to play football. If I was a manager, that's how I would like to play football. So it makes it a little bit easier from my side. Stuart's exactly the same, obviously, because he's helped develop, develop this vision and this philosophy within the club with Daniel. So all three of us see things very, very similar on how to play the game. So it, it makes identifying a player um, a lot easier. And obviously my job's been largely making the scouts feel the same way as us, uh, you know, which is what I look at Jakob Sorensen, who, who Tom Reeves recommended. Such a great recommendation, uh, as I've, I've been on record and said. But I, as soon as I saw him, I just said, that's a, that's a Daniel Fark player straight away. You could see it. And lo and behold, when it got presented into a presentation, Daniel immediately took to him. And, you know, it was a real tick from the scouting department straight up. I mean, I barely had to do anything on that. You know, it was immediately to me, Daniel's going to love this player. And it's exactly what, what he did. So, yeah, when you just said there, that's a Daniel Farker player. What is a Farker player? Someone that can play football. I know that sounds very basic and simple because he's obviously got a lot more detail to, to, his, to what he does, but he just, he loves a player that's confident, calm on the ball, you know, will take the ball in tight areas, doesn't panic. You'll see, you know, we've all seen Daniel if someone hoofs the ball up, you know, up the pitch, which happens very rarely with us, I must say, but if they do, he's off the, he's off the bench straight away and he wants, you know, he likes that calm, calculated player who, I think that one thing that the, the, the German mentality, certainly from a playing style, is um, tactically they're, they're very bright where the English I think we're catching up, but we, we don't create quite tactically astute players where Germans obviously do. So Daniel's obviously big on, on that side of the game and, and, you know, being able to know your position and, and what comes from it. So, yeah, he's, he's, I find him very easy to identify a player, to be honest with Daniel. And we always hear about we're not just signing the players, we're signing the people. And that's something that runs throughout the club as well. You've got to yeah. buy into the vision, buy into everything that's going on. At what point in that recruitment process does it stop going from, right, this guy's a brilliant footballer to actually he's someone who's going to fit in at our football club? 
Yeah, we do a lot of early um, sort of findings to make sure because that's one thing that I've, I've worked out over the years of working with the guys that, you know, they don't want anybody in, in the building who's going to disrupt um, in a negative way. So we do our, our best at the start, really, to find out. If we like the player early, um, we'll, we'll do some digging around and make sure that there's no red flag straight away. Um, what will then happen when we present the players to Stuart, Daniel and, and Eddie and Chris, um, we will all, if, we, if we all start to agree on a player that, that we all feel strongly about, that's when we'll all start having that conversation about how do we really find out what this player's like? Do we know anyone at that club? Is there a previous manager? You know, we'll, we'll start getting a contact book out, which unfortunately is the only way you can do it um, to really find out what, what someone's like. But is it a case of then, as you say, finding people that know that player and then calling them and just saying, what's he like as a person? What are your experiences of him? How does that all work? Yeah, I mean, it is really, it sounds a bit basic, I know, and I'm sure people think there's a weird and wonderful way that we do this, but we don't. It's it's pick up the phone, it's come and talk to people, you know, quietly and, and make sure there's, you know, we wouldn't bring the manager up, his current manager, for example, of this player and say, oh, what's he like? You know, if he doesn't want to sell him, he's going to say, no, stay away, he's a horrible bloke, you know, you don't want to go near him. So you have to be quite, you know, smart with it, but we... Um, I think we all got different backgrounds from various clubs. We can always find somebody or a player that's played there. or um, And then from a scouting side, one of the areas that we've worked on is just trying to study the body language of a player a little bit more when we're watching them, what they're like when they're uh, when things aren't going well. So if they lose a game 4-0, let's watch that game. How did he react when they were losing 4-0? Was he still running? Was he, you know, did he have the white flag up, take me off? The hamstrings feeling a bit tight, you know, anything that, just gives you little subtle indications of, of what he's like as a person. And we try and put something something together for that as well. Have you ever had, ever had a situation where something like that has stopped you going for a player? He's, he's brilliant. He scored 20 goals a season. He's creating all sorts of chances. Actually, he's pictured out on the town a bit too much. He, he doesn't really seem to you know keep his shoulders up when the things aren't going well. Has that ever stopped a transfer? It stopped me recommending, yes, and I'm sure it has deep down stopped a, a transfer as well. Um, it stopped me recommending players quite regularly because I know what it takes to play for Norwich and Daniel and, and what the guys expect. It's um, you know, it's a, it's a it's a very vigorous uh, training schedule. There's there's lots of areas that if you're not professional or you know you want your two and a half days off a week and you don't fancy double sessions and this isn't for you. You know, if you can't handle video analysis and you can't handle having your game broken down and maybe being told straight in front of other players that you're not doing this bit right, this bit right, this isn't for you as an area. So we have to be really sure. Um, and I, you know, you can see things with players where good football, no problem, could play for us, but wouldn't last long because once he gets involved in that in that area, he, he'll crumble. Um, and unfortunately, we saw it with a player that we signed a few years back who's well documented. It didn't work for that reason. Which player was that, Kieran? Uh, it was Ben, Ben Marshall. He just didn't, he just couldn't quite adapt, I don't think, to, to what was going on. And, and he struggled. Very good footballer, absolutely no doubt as a, as a footballer. But I just think he struggled with, uh, I mean, he's been on record recently, hasn't he, on a, on a podcast about he didn't like the area and he struggled being quite lonely here and stuff. But I also think the actual um, schedule maybe caught him out and he, he struggled to deal. And also he had Max Aarons chomping at his, his you know, it was... Yeah, I think you've got to be quite strong mentally to be here and, and, you know, you've got to be able to deal with these things. So that is a major factor that we look for in players when we're, we're scouting. With someone like Ben, do you, do you guys sit down and go, well, actually, we, we've missed some red flags here before, before he's turned up? 
Do, do you think that, or is it a case of well, we did our we did our best work, our diligence, and, and it just he's not the guy we thought he was. Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, we we did a lot of work on Ben, and, and you know, Ben's well known in in the game for areas that, that he could be better at, but he's also a brilliant footballer, and he still is a brilliant footballer, and I hope he, he gets back playing at the level he should be playing at. Um, and we sort of weighed up the, the the two sides. We felt at the time we needed a, that type of player that was a little bit versatile, had quality. We knew Daniel would like him as a footballer. Um, there was just areas that, that just didn't quite quite work for him off the pitch. It was an educated gamble that, that, that didn't quite work, I'm afraid, on that one. We'll come on to successes, obviously, in a minute. There's been a lot of those. But are there any other players that you think haven't quite worked out as you planned? Maybe Patrick Roberts when he joined on loan from Man City? Yeah, I mean, you, you could look at Patrick. I mean, he's got a brilliant um, pedigree and, he, you know, he was a very, very talented boy. When he, oh, he still is a talented boy, but as a youngster, he was exceptionally talented and he was one of the brightest players in the country for a long period. I just think it just doesn't quite happen for him. And I think the only issue with, with Patrick, it's just a physical thing. Um, that's all it is. He's still a great footballer. He can still do things. And, you know, we saw his loan at Celtic, what he can do. It just, I think, physically was a gamble he'd be able to handle the Premier League. And I think, you know, without trying to sound out of turn, he didn't quite work from that side. But, you know, it was, it was, yeah, it was sort of the market we were in at the time and we had, to, we had to do what we had to do, really, if I'm honest. I take it the league that we're in at the time affects your recommendations or do you just simply look for the best player you can possibly afford? Yes, yeah. I mean, you do, but the, the league would determine... Certainly now we've had that year in the Premier League where we saw firsthand the diff. You know, we it's weird because you watch the games all the time. Obviously, everyone watches Premier League football, and you think, "No, our guys will be right when they get there." And and then the, the step up physically was huge. Um, and I think that was the one area that caught us out. I still thought we played some of the best football. Certainly in the opening 10, 15 games, I thought we were we were excellent, but. Where teams, I think, got a little bit worried about playing us at our own game, decided to sit back, change their tactics on us, and it it then become a difficult season because we perhaps didn't have the legs and the physical capability to get around the pitch. So, recommending players now, if we were to get back to the Premier League, has certainly changed our view on certainly the physical uh, capabilities of the player um, to help complement the footballers that we have got. I know you've spoken in depth about how you looked for to bring new players to the club once getting promoted. And am I right in thinking that there was some difficulty with players that maybe wanted a clause in their contract if Norwich were to go down? And, and that all adds up, doesn't it? How do you navigate that kind of difficult situation? Yeah, it was really, it was really tough the first time. Um, I did speak recently on an interview about having, obviously I was at the front of a lot of these negotiations and you know, I'm, I'm, this isn't a knock at agents or anything, you know, they're just doing their job and looking after their client. But there was a lot of what I would call plate spinning. And then there was a lot of what I felt would become sort of plan B. If they couldn't get 75 grand a week from Crystal Palace or whatever, you know, we'll use Norwich as a brilliant B option. And it was tough to, to take that because I don't see us as a B option. We should be an A option. We should want to come and play for us and don't come at all. But when you're in a market dictated to hugely by money, and, it, and a lot of the players that we go for aren't your stereotypical, you know, I don't know, an outstanding British player. I'm not saying we wouldn't go for that, but we can't afford it. So we've then be shopping in markets with big clubs like Atlanta would want the same player, for example, in Serie A and could pay him twice the money. So it was really tough that, I've got to say. And, and yeah, you're right. A lot, of the, a lot of the agents and, and quite rightly, you know, if their player can get it elsewhere, why would they? 
didn't want to accept the fact that they would have to take a large hit if we got relegated. And, and let's be honest, we, along with Sheffield United and Villa, were probably favourites to go down that year. So it was a it was a tough sell. And unfortunately, a lot of the players fell away because they, they wouldn't do it. And as I've said, I backed Stuart at the club 100% not to do that and put the club in financial problems that we inherited. We'd have just created the same thing. Uh, and we, you know, none of us want that. It was more of a strategic approach. And I'm hoping that if the lads can keep going, we can get promoted this time around. It might have all been worth the bit of the sacrifice. You must have a pretty in-depth understanding of the club's finances and how what we can afford to pay for a player, because you must have to take into consideration a player's market value, because otherwise you'd just be like, yeah, this chap Messi, he's good. He's the best one we can get. You know, you, yeah. you must be able to go forward with some realistic proposals. He is on a free transfer this summer. You know, I put him on the list. <laughs> now, listen, I have an understanding to a degree. You know, Stuart, ultimately, with, with Zoe and Ben in the exec committee, are obviously the guys that understand it in a lot more detail than me. But Stuart gives me enough information to know where we are. You're quite right. You know, there's no point in me going to look for a £25 million striker if we were to get promoted. And Stuart says we've got two and a half million. You know, let's put that list in the bin. So no, I have a, 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 an understanding enough to know where we are and where we aren't. And, and with all of that in mind, with the recent signing of Dimitri Yanoulis, is he joining a club that, obviously, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but was he, in his mind, joining a club that is going to be in the Premier League? You know, is it easier to attract a player when you are flying high at the top of the Championship? Yeah, it is. Um, it definitely is. I, I think we would have probably struggled to get Dimitri if, if we weren't where we are. Um, it's obviously on, on record at a lot of places, the, the level of interest he's had over the last two seasons. Um, you know, he's been very close to joining some massive clubs in Serie A. You know, his club at the time decided to, to block it off. And, we, you know, we're very lucky to have him, to be honest with you. Um, he's obviously now got to adapt to the level and the pace, which I'm sure he will. In the next couple of games, but once he gets going, I'm sure he'll be. Uh, I'm sure he'll be good as goal. But yeah, I'm pretty confident he wouldn't be here if we were, let's say, tenth. And how exciting a signing is he? For me, I think he's really exciting because the left back position's been a position that we've sort of struggled to fill because we had Jamal Lewis, who it wouldn't matter really who we signed, Jamal was always going to play. He was our boy. He'd come from the academy, performed really well. You know, he had he was a young player, so. It didn't really matter who you tried to entice here. We'd always say, you've got Jamal Lewis. Um, now Jamal has moved on, it's been easier to start looking at trying to cover that left-back position, which, you know, is really tough. A lot of clubs want left-back, so it's been really hard to find one. And I think potentially we've got two in uh, Quintier and, and Janoulis that, that, that can fight out now between them. And I think they're both potentially Premier League left-backs in their own way. So, yeah, it's... Um, it's been good to get a pair in, but it's been a, it's been difficult to find them. Jakobs, obviously, he prefers playing in midfield. What what had you seen of him before you brought him into the club, and, and what uh, what attracted you to him as a player? Yeah, so as I said, uh, Tom Reid, who, who was covering uh, Denmark at the time, was was flagging him quite as I like aggressively to me, um, and you can imagine what that was like. Um, but yeah, he was very aggressive with the recommendation because he felt that strong about him. So. My job then was to, was to kick in and start watching him to see what I felt. Um, like I said, straight away, I could just see, you know, he was going to be a Daniel style of player straight straight away. So it didn't really take too long to get what we do then is we do like a real intense video. Uh, the guys clip, the, you know, Jakob up in areas that Daniel would like to see. And, and what he is, is a, is a holding midfield player, not a left back for Zali. But um, 
he then was put in front of Daniel. Daniel was was excited about him very quickly, and, and that was how he, he came about and and how he's here. And there's a lot of quality, obviously, in the side at the moment. And Emmy Buendia, one player who's absolutely shone this year. How did you come to identify him? Because at the time, he was actually playing in Spain's second division, wasn't he, on loan? How did that all come about? Yeah, so I think it might have been around October-ish, start of October that year. I got moved from domestic scouting to head of recruitment. And where that took me into was the, obviously to get a handle on the foreign scouting and the foreign recruitment. So I went into the, the guys, the, the analytics team, and just said, listen, you know, um, is there anyone out there that you feel has just gone under the radar a little bit? Um, and they said, yeah, listen, I think you need to look at this player. There was a few players mentioned and Emmy was one. So I said, oh, you know, I'd seen some of the reports that the guys had done on him were, were, were positive. So Mariella, who, who mentioned him to me at the time, put him up on a, on a screen and we started watching him and you know, straight away I was, you know, I could see that was the type of player that you don't come across too often, uh, certainly at that level. Um, it ticked all the boxes that we that we like, really. You know, it would have been a low salary. He was playing in League Two, so it have been cheap. He was the type of player I knew that Daniel would like. You know, it ticked all them boxes really quickly. Uh, and then I proceeded to just annoy Stuart for about two days. You've got to see this player, you've got to see this player. And, you know, he watched him and, and, to be honest, felt the same as me. And then we started our process then of getting out to Spain to watch him and Stuart used his contacts to get into the agent and the guy and, and that's how it all started to happen. It always baffles me that you say that someone like that can go under the radar in in, in this day and age of, of, you know, everything on social media and, you know, if a player does a good, does something good, it ends up clipped up on social media. But how yeah. does a player like that go under the radar? Is it a case of the, the bigger clubs with potentially bigger purchasing power don't need to do the diligence that you guys do and that's how Emmy Buendia doesn't leapfrog us and go straight to a, a, a bigger club. I, I don't know if it's a diligence. I think it's more that they could afford to not take the risk. So Emmy could have come in and been a disaster. You know, Daniel could have fallen out of him straight away. He could have enjoyed England on more money, put more weight on. Yeah, I don't you know. Listen, I don't know. I'm coming up with random issues here, but he could have fallen apart and looks a bad signing. Um, so I think clubs that have got more money that can maybe spend the extra money to get one who's in you know, whatever better condition. It makes it sound like he was in awful condition here. He wasn't. He was playing 90 minutes every week in Spain, but you could see he wasn't, you know, at his best. There was more to come. But I just think some clubs don't need to take that risk. Um, at that time, we did. Uh, it was, you know, it was. Uh, I know it was only, I think it was 1.5 million euros the club played, paid, but at the time... I remember the financial restrictions the club was under. That was actually a lot of money to take a risk. It was a brave, it was a brave decision, to be honest. Um, and it's paid off. Yeah, it has paid off. This one has definitely paid off for us. What are the challenges that you faced, Kieran, during the coronavirus? Because you can't as easily get out on a plane, go and watch a player live. And I know when we spoke, Alice and I spoke to Neil Adams uh, a few weeks ago, and he was talking about how he's keeping up with the lone players. Yeah. You, it's better watching them live because you can watch what they're doing away from the ball when the camera is elsewhere and you can get a more rounded picture. How have you got around those challenges during this period? Yeah, it's been, it's been really tough, actually. And it's something I've found personally really difficult because, well, for the last nine years, I've been traveling around Europe and other places watching football quite regularly. I would, you know, disappear from my house for two weeks and come back after I've been you know, I could drop myself into the bottom of Spain and then just work my way up sometimes into other countries and 
you know, you could watch 10 games of football, watch loads of targets. And that's been instilled in me now for a long time. For that to have just stopped overnight and stopped travelling has been really tough. Actually, I found that really difficult being confined to my house, as we all are, don't get me wrong. Um, how it's changed is it's made us probably work a little bit smarter and a lot faster in terms of being able to access video, um, which is something that we've always been able to access, but we, we can obviously watch a lot more. The difficulty comes if you want to sign a player from, let's say, deepest, darkest Italy for the Premier League, unless the restrictions get better, we, we're going to have to hold our hands up and say we're not going to have seen that player live for the last 12 months. We might have seen him before, but that's going to be the fact, you know, we can't, you know, we can't defy the government rules and start dropping ourselves into Italy for a game of football. It's not fair on everyone else. So it's been, it's been really tough. Um, but, you know, just, I'm one of them, I think in football, you have to sort of adapt or die and you've just got to create different ways of scouting, different ways of being, you know, started using statistics more or started scouting other areas, just utilising the guys as best I can who, who can't now travel as much. The only break I do get is I am still allowed to go to the odd domestic game. If it's like one of your next three opponents, you can you can request a ticket and go. So you can still get out a little bit, but yeah, it's been, it's been so different. With the self-sustainability and the model that we've got here at Norwich, how impressed have you been with how the club has dealt with everything that's been thrown at it over, say, the last 11, 12 months and, and how it has adapted to all of that? Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to, I've not been shocked, to be honest, at how well they dealt with it because you, the club's just full of people that want what's best for the club. You can see it whenever you're in a meeting, you, you know, or you're talking to people, you know, there's just a real pride about working for the club there's a real passion to do well for the club I think that actually stems from everybody loves the owners the bits and just wants what's best for everyone so it hasn't surprised me that, that it's been dealt with so well um, and you have you know, have a little bit of pride to it as well that you know I don't want to see people at other clubs losing jobs or anything but you can tell the clubs that have gone a little bit close to the line it's just catching them up now and they need help where you look at Norwich I'm not saying we're not going to need help if this carries on another 12 18 months I'm sure every club's going to need help but at the minute we're, we're able to sort of you know maintain the same level that we had prior to the coronavirus which I think is a testament to our world of clubs run you've got an incredibly important role it's become more apparent as we've been talking to you this morning in that self-sustainability model self-funding model is that you know, you've got to, uh, the way we make money is people around the football club do their jobs really well. They squeeze out every penny to put the team in the best position to win on a Saturday or, or as often as possible. Um, player trading, ultimately, let's face it, is the biggest source of income and, and helping to, to achieve that self-funding model. Your role is incredibly important to that. Do you feel pressure? No, uh, not pressure in, in a negative sense. If I'm honest, I just feel the same pressure I always have to, to do my job. Um, I actually take a lot of uh, pride and I like, I don't know, turning an Emmy Buendia into that or being part of it, I should say. I've not turned him into that, but I like that. You know, we've, we've you know, one of the players that I was, was strongly recommending at the start of the season was Sebastian Soto, the young boy who's been out in Holland. And Sebastian was available on a really, really cheap deal because his contract had run out at Hanover. And I looked at that as a really talented boy. But in terms of a business decision for the club, that could potentially make the club a lot of money if that's the route it goes then. Hopefully, Sebastian does well and plays for us and is worth fortunes, of course. But I also looked at it as a, as a player. I didn't know whether we was going to get uh, a work permit either. But I knew there was a player there worth a lot more than the, the really nominal fee that we paid. So I, I look for those opportunities and, and do my best to try and create money for the club that could see it through periods like this. So I, I don't really feel it as pressure. I just see it as my job and, and actually really enjoy doing it. 
you mentioned earlier you have spent a lot of time at different clubs across the country but how does the structure here at Norwich compare to the structure at say the likes of a club like Wolves or or Southampton? Well funny enough I think Norwich has got a very similar way of doing things as, as those two clubs and I would imagine that Stuart has, has probably learned some really good things at his time at Wolves that helped him you know I'm sure he's learned at Liverpool and all the clubs he's worked for but Wolves had, uh, had, a, had a, well, he was a, not a director of football, it was director of football development or something, which was a guy called Kevin Thelwell. So they had a, a similar type of structure and it and it worked well within reason. There were areas that I think, obviously, that, that Stuart's changed and made work even better here. But certainly there were areas that I can see are similar. Though it was a very, uh, how would I put it, Wolves at the time. It's like a very academic club, very clever people that put things into place that worked really well, I just felt maybe lacked the football, where Stuart's got the football with that as well. Um, so I can see why this has, has gone on a level. But um, yeah, they're two clubs that probably do run a very similar type of setup to us. Alice mentioned Brexit earlier, actually. Uh, I must admit, I'm not as clued up as I should be on how that's going to affect your your recruitment. I, I read a little bit about, you, you, like you said, you've done a couple of interviews on it, but, but how much of an obstacle is that to you? It's just changed things, if I'm honest. It's, it's changed things and we've seen opportunities come from it and we've seen doors closed from it. I think it's well documented about Pookie, for example, under the rules now would struggle to qualify for a work permit. And, you know, we deem that a really clever bit of recruitment that's obviously paid dividends for us, but that would now be closed. So we're just having to look elsewhere and start. And we've seen other markets have opened up. Um, you know, we've got, you know, Mariella now really focusing back on South America, for example. She has been anyway for a long period, but we've got her back in there because there's opportunities there. There's obviously now South American players, Korean players, Chinese players that are playing in Europe are now available to come. So it's opened other doors. It's just, again, it's just adjusting to, to what it is. It, it, I'm a little bit gutted that a Jakob Sorensen and, and people like that wouldn't qualify now because we have built large parts of our scouting on on those types of signings. Um, again, we're just going to have to find other ways to do it. And we've had plenty of meetings about how that's going to work. And, you know, to be honest, we're already cracking on and finding other opportunities. Thank you. I'm just interested to know, obviously, you do work closely with the academy as well. How do you strike that balance of making sure that external signings don't block the pathway for the young talent potentially making their way into you know, the starting 11 and, and, you know, looking towards that kind of aim. How do you strike that fine balance? Yeah, I mean, that one's quite easy, actually. I mean, it's always a conversation with Stuart, something that, that I would say, if I took recruitment away from Stuart's role and, and someone said to me, what else does Stuart bring as a real strong skill set? It would be the ability to develop players and, and, and manage that pathway for a player, whether it's alone, whether it's going into Daniel straight away, but... He's done done that first class from, from the minute he walks in the door with Madison and Jamal, and, you know, we all know them. But he's very quick. If I call up and say, I've seen a player or I like this player and he's 19 or he's 17, he'll straight away, we'll know whether there's a player that that's going to block, whether there's one, yeah, all right, we do need someone in that position. Let's look a bit more in depth. It's really easy. I've got to be honest, it's one phone call to Stu and he can tell me in two minutes flat whether there's opportunities for that player or not. So... Really quick, really easy. And again, not something I've had at a club before where it is that sort of switched on and that quick. That's interesting. When you guys uh, are trying to attract someone, so you've identified the person you want, What? how do you sell Norwich as a club and a place to come to them? Loads of good things, to be honest with you. The city's a major part. Um, obviously, it's close to the beach. The city's, you know, a really, really nice city. It's an, it's an affluent area to come and, 
come and be. We always use the line about how many players have come here uh, that have finished playing their game and retire here or they finish their career and stay here. We always use that as a, you know, as a really good selling point. But then, you know, we've obviously got good training ground now. The stadium, you know, the pitch, etc. is not well, the pitch is normally immaculate, but it's having a, a difficult period at the minute, I have seen, but normally immaculate. So we're always trying to sell the fact that we play football and we invest in our facilities like the pitches at Colney, etc., are, are immaculate for that, so you can come away and play football. So yeah, there's a lots of things, and then obviously it's a club that play the right way, in my opinion, and we do the right things. And if you outgrow us as much as we don't want players to move on. As long as the money's right, we're realistic with that. Where some clubs are totally unrealistic with that, and you're stuck. We're not saying we let players go easy. We can see that we don't. But at the same time, if it's right for everybody, with a Madison or a Godfrey, you know, we will, we will do that as well. Which that does sell to young players who are destined for Real Madrid or, or wherever they think they're destined for. Yeah, with with the success of the likes of, as you say, James Madison and Ben Godfrey, and the philosophy and the evolution of the club over the recent couple of seasons, has that made your job easier, attracting really good talent to the club? You just say, look, the proof is in the pudding. Look at what we've achieved so far and look at what these players have gone on to do. Has it affected the way you approach potential signings? Yeah, it's probably made us approach perhaps that little bit higher than we were previously um, for that exact reason, because... Listen, we're never going to pay you the most money. We're always honest about that. There's always a club that are going to pay more money. We know that. But we will give you the, the platform to go and become what you can become. And we, like you say, the proof is in the pudding. We can point at so many uh, opportunities that players have had when it's been easier to play a senior player. Daniel was sometimes opted to play a young player and give him that opportunity. And I can't think of many managers and clubs that do that. So we, we use you know, everything in our armoury to, to convince these players to come. And we've just had it with young Regan Riley, who's just signed from Bolton. You know, we had opportunities to go to so-called bigger clubs. Um, and he's chosen us because he's seen the pathway that we've got and he, he thinks he can he can get through, which is exactly what we were trying to show him and tell him. So, yeah, it does. It's paying, paying off already, to be honest with you. Uh, as much as you want to keep Ben and Madison and that sometimes you have to just... It is what it is. They're playing in, you know, top four teams at the minute or top six teams, I should say. So, yeah. What What have you seen about Regan that's excited you and what should his goals be for the next couple of years? Well, he's a young player in a position we felt we were we were struggling to have one that was ready to, to really push through. So it was an area that we identified that we needed to strengthen. Uh, we had a good relationship with Bolton and the guys up there and, and, and they helped us with, with Regan and we'd watched him as best as we could watch him, it's difficult to watch young players you're not allowed in, if I'm honest. We managed to get into games, don't get me wrong, we did not see him, we saw it as much as we could of him. But Bolton were fair and let him come and have a little period with us where he could come and play and train and, and, and sort of get that feel from him. But he's a number eight midfield player with good energy, you know, good pace. He's going to be, you know, a great size and shape. I hate saying that, but in modern day football, that is what needs to be. Um, and he's a really good footballer. Again, you know, like Dimitri, just needs to get used to the pace, the tempo, the difference in, obviously he's coming from Category 3 now, Bolton Arts, or a Category 1 games programme, um, which is different, as we all know. But um, yeah, no, listen, it, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to put any pressure on him. He's a young boy with a good future. If he knuckles down and focuses and, and gets his head on it, he'll, be, he'll do well. Sounds like an exciting young signing. So that's obviously Regan Riley, and we've talked about Dimitri Yanoulis, but we've also signed Oyan Neeland, the goalkeeper, until the end of the season. Now he's coming in, I suppose, as a number two, as understudy to Tim Krull. How do you look to approach agents, probably before players, when you're looking for a player that is 
especially at the start, coming in as an understudy as opposed to for the starting 11? Is there a different kind of mindset in the approach? Yeah, it's funny you mention it, actually, because um, me and Stuart both had a conversation together about how difficult this one's been. Um, it's been, I want to say, impossible because we've signed, you know, Orjan, who's a really high-level goalkeeper, but we had to sort of try and find a goalkeeper that was good enough to play if he has to play, not one that just sits there and you're sitting there praying, please don't break down, Tim, because, you know, we don't want this goalie to go on. So we felt that with, with Noyland that we feel he's obviously good enough to play. He's playing the Premier League. Um, so that was sort of tick number one. But then we needed a goalkeeper that was willing to, you know, work his way in, be patient, but also have the personality to deal with the fact that, you know, Tim's here. We all love Tim a bit. He's been fantastic for us. He's been here for two and a half years. We didn't want a goalkeeper that was going to be disrespectful, come flying in, tell Tim he's going to be number one. And, you know, we, we feel like we've got the right goalkeeper for all those areas that needed to be ticked, but also enough to give Tim a push as well. He's a good goalkeeper, you know, Noyland. His feet are top class. I've got to say his feet are about as good as it gets, which is something you have to have when you play for us, as we all know. So, you know, he'll give Tim a, a, a friendly push, but in the right way, uh, which is always a good thing. That's interesting. Kieran, is there anyone out there who you tracked for ages, were incredibly excited about, were banging on Stuart's door, you know, irritating him, as you said, and then <laughs> you missed out on him and it's and it's annoyed you ever since? There's always players that, that, that I feel, that's me personally as an as a individual, that I've liked and have wanted to sign and, and perhaps haven't quite got through the process. I'm definitely not going to name any because it's just going to uh, open up the world of problems. I, uh, I don't need there, but... Um, now, there's been two or three, but I think that's, I think that's just natural that, you know, you, listen, every head of recruitment thinks he's, well, I don't, but you, you think you're a football manager and you can do the job. It's just naturally, you know, what it's like. You, you, I'm passionate about it. You know, I'm, you know, sort of competitive and want to win. So if I feel like there's something there, I'm obviously going to say my piece. But as I've said, it's not really been like that here at Norwich. I've got to be honest, there's a rare occasion that it does happen there's always a good reason why. It's not like someone will just say to me, no, nah, no chance, he's not coming in. There'll be a reason, it'll be explained. The one area that tends to catch me out, if I'm honest, is there's better value abroad. So you bring players from abroad, but Stuart and Daniel have to balance off the homegrown side of things, as we all know. And it's them who have to deal with that, that, that sort of problem. So they will sometimes opt for a homegrown player over a foreign player because they have to, but you know the foreign players better, if that makes sense. Um, but... That's just something that's out of everyone's control, really. That's the only time I think it's ever really been where I felt there was a better option. But again, like I say, there's a perfectly good reason for why that, that's happened. Kieran, have you had any moments in your time at Norwich City of real job satisfaction where you thought, ah, do you know what? I've played a huge role in what has happened either today or over the last couple of weeks. And I really feel my, my worth and my contribution to this football club and its, its direction. I suppose... I suppose I'm lucky because I've obviously recommended a lot of players for the club. So there's been quite a few of those, certainly when the season um, that we won the league, you know, and I look at Pookie's contributions and Emmy's, even Tim Crawl as well. But I think one of, one of the players that never really gets a mention, it was such a brilliant deal that the club did. And, and it was a player that I, you know, personally put forward and really liked was Kenny McLean. Um, and I always remember Kenny when he scored the two goals against Bristol City. Um you know, when we won 3-2. And I did feel then, you know, that was a huge, you know, contribution from Kenny in that game. He'd had a tough start with the injury against Stevenage that he picked up and he, he just got in the team. 
and he made that contribution that day, which listen, there was a lot of sort of parts of that season where we kicked on, but that felt like a massive win. And obviously Kenny scored the two goals, so you know, and won us the game. So that was that was one personal one I remember. But so I'm lucky. I've got the players are on the pitch, so you feel loads to be honest. Correct me if I'm wrong, but was it just a hundred thousand pounds to bring Kenny McLean to the to the club? Because that seems like a real bargain now. Yeah, it was it was it was in and around him figures. I remember Kenny was a free transfer, and what you do, you can approach to to sign on a free contract. And if you do that, you have to let the club know that you're doing that. So we let Aberdeen know that we were going to sign Kenny on a, on a pre-contract. And I think Aberdeen then approached and said, you can take him now effectively to stop any issues in the summer. If you want to take him now, if you pass a nominal fee and let us have him, you can get it all sorted now and agreed and above board and there isn't any issues. So the club took that stance to, to wrap up the signing and make sure there wasn't any issues come the summer. Because Kenny, to be fair, was having a great season and he peaked it at the right time and he was getting better and better. And you never know, you know, he's a, he's a, as we all know, he's a Rangers fan. It could have uh, it could have got a little bit touchy. So the club, you know, sorted it there and then. And, and that was why we did it. But yeah, I mean, you look at that now. It's a, it's a, it's a really good signing for that amount of money. And you've done a lot of travelling uh, in your time looking at players. Have you had any particularly memorable trips where things have gone wrong, things have gone right? Yeah, to be, I, I've had loads of trips that, I mean, the the... the I think the best one, well, the one that always sticks for me was me and Stuart were going to go and watch uh, Timu Puki playing for Bromby. And we went to Stansted, got on the flight. I won't name the company, begins with an R, um, just for legal reasons. Um, and the uh, while we were sitting there, something went wrong with the engine on the plane. And we were sat front row, ready to go. And the engine went wrong. And they said, listen, we'll get you on another plane and we'll go. And that took about two hours. And we ended up just walking back through the airport because we couldn't make the game. So the, the game got went ahead and he scored two goals in it, Pookie, as well. And me and Stuart were meant to be there, but obviously with a plane blowing up, that was the end of that. So we ended up uh, back at uh, back at home, watching it on telly. So uh, that's always stuck with me, that one, to be honest. But I went back a week later and again, he scored another two and, and that was that. But yeah, it's disappointing. But it all worked out in the end, didn't it? I mean, he has got to be up there with one of the best free transfers, surely. 29 goals in that season that got us promoted as champions. Yeah, he's, he, he's been he's been brilliant. I mean, I... I sort of, you know, with others recommended him as a um, backup to Jordan Rhodes that year. We, we were close to doing Jordan and I said, like, you know, I've watched enough of him, finds a lot of space. I just think he might be able to get sort of five, ten goals and help us and, you know, 30 goals later and Jordan had to sit there watching him run him. He's been, he, listen, I didn't watch him and think he was going to be as good as he's been. He's been brilliant. Obviously, you recommended him because you think he's a good player, but he's been first class and he just seems to, for me, be getting better and better and it's a good signing. For you personally, Kieran, obviously you're now head of head of recruitment at a football club with aspirations of being back in the Premier League. Where's the progression for you? What do you where do you want to achieve over the next few years? Definitely short term, definitely want to get back into the Premier League and have another go at, at doing um, the recruitment for the Premier League, hopefully with a little bit more of a you know a, or a budget or a bit more say in play in what we do is certainly a short term. Um, ambition of mine but I think mid to, to long term I want to progress into the sporting director role which I've obviously spoken with Stuart about at length um, and Stuart's been brilliant and really supportive and you know he's always on the phone he's always talking to me about things and, and sort of trying to educate me as we go on the job um, but it's certainly an area that, that I want to progress into over the next 
where, you know, to be honest, in football, you never know. It could be next week. It could be five years. You know, what football's like forever changing. But it's certainly something I, I've got an ambition to, to push towards. So, Kieran, you, you clearly feel very at home in Norwich. What does the place and the club mean to you in your life as a whole? From the minute I wake up in the morning, it's Norwich. If I'm honest, until I go to sleep at night, everything I do is is focused on trying to, you know, bring players to the club, make things better, work with my guys to make them better. Um, I'm desperate to see the club back in the Premier League because I think it's a club that deserves to be in the Premier League because it's a bit of a, a slight, a sort of an old-fashioned way of, of, of running as a club in terms of being self-sufficient and not having a big owner that drops hundreds of millions in every year. And I, and I love the way that we do things. I'd love to see us in the in the Premier League because it's almost a bit of a shot in the arm of people who do spend millions and millions and millions and it doesn't quite work. I'd love for us to go and sort of get in the Premier League and sustain ourselves there. Kieran, thank you so much. It's been so interesting hearing all your stories and thank you for being so open with us. I really, really enjoyed that. And thank you for everything you're doing for Norwich. It's um, much appreciated from all of us fans. So thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. No problem. It's been good. Enjoyed it. Thanks, thanks for your time, Kieran. No problem. Cheers. Well, I don't know about you, Dan, but I absolutely loved hearing from Kieran there. A really good insight into a department that people don't really hear that much about at the club. Yeah, Kieran would describe his job as being behind the scenes, but what a pivotal part he plays in obviously bringing in players, but the club's direction and strategy, his role's hugely important. Yeah, it really is vital. I loved hearing about all his hits as well. A couple of misses, but thankfully, obviously, he's done some massive deals here at the club so far. So good to hear from Kieran. And make sure you subscribe if you want more podcasts like that one. We're on Spotify, Apple and YouTube. Just search All in Yellow. And of course, you could leave us a nice rating or perhaps share the pod with someone else who you think might enjoy a listen. Why not? That would be very much appreciated. But thanks for listening today and we'll see you next time.